This is the uh, 22nd of November 2008. It's not what you think, it's what you do. And this is lesson 12. Wow, it doesn't seem like 12 lessons, does it? Let's, uh, <laughs> there's three more after this. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. We thank you that you uh, gave it to us, that you gave us uh, pious and diligent men uh, that wrote down uh, what you inspired, Father, and, and uh, men over the centuries that preserved it for us. And Father, we know it is uh, through the work of your Holy Spirit that we can apply it to our lives. And we ask that you might help us to uh, open it up, read it, accept it, and act it out. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. And I'll continue from the Shemona Esrei. This is the weekday, of, this is the weekday but it's also uh, found in the Shabbat uh, Amidah. And this is... The paragraph, Bonei Yerushalayim, builder of Jerusalem. And to Jerusalem, your city, may you return in compassion, and may you rest within it as you have spoken. May you rebuild it soon in our days as an eternal structure. May you speedily establish the throne of David within it. Blessed are you, Lord, builder of Jerusalem. Amen. Um, we're looking at the word build, uh, giving you a, just a scripture to get started to open it up for Samuel 2 verse 35 uh, this is uh, um, God speaking then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do and that is the word asa which we will be looking at next week according to what is in my heart and in my mind I will build and that is the word bana which is our word today him a sure and the word sure you may get from Amen, uh, Emunah, faith, or a believing house, or a sure house, and he shall walk. He shall, that's the word halak, which we get the word, uh, we use uh, halakic, how someone does something. Before, the word face, my appointed Messiah forever, my anointed Mashiach forever. Um, we've been learning uh, obviously with the, the marvelous work that God does on our behalf he fashions he creates he creates and fashions he's redeemed us and he does it for a purpose um, as we saw last week just like he created the angels for a purpose he has created us for a purpose um, and we are continuing to learn that we have been uh, called by him and how we live faith out uh, by visibly by what we do. Uh, messianic congregations generally do not have problems uh, systematically understanding the word banah, or more importantly, misunderstanding the word banah, build. But many people in messianic congregations come from uh, traditional Christian backgrounds, and because of that, they may have a misunderstanding of the word build, even though they may not be experiencing that misunderstanding. As you know, we are here at Hope of Israel in the process of building a building. Um, generally, uh, generally, with the correct attitude and intentions, but you may have come from places before or heard of places before that, in fact, have a completely twisted view on the word build. Um, many places... It is, it is the build it and they will come method of preaching the gospel. If you build a big enough, nice enough facility, 
people will go, woo, that's great. Let's go there next Sunday. Um, and uh, this is this is basically this is called cathedral theology. Cathedral theology says that our lives are so woeful, so bad, so uh, so miserable on this earth. We can't wait to escape. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And uh, we can't wait to get raptured or however you want to term it uh, to spend e- have an eternity in heaven with a harp from last week, remember. With a harp uh, playing. And uh, unfortunately for us, as, a, as, as followers of Yeshua, we know that He has called us to live each day and each moment faithfully as if that was all there was, that all that mattered. It's not about reward. It's about the reward of doing and simply pleasing Him with a life that's, uh, that's consistent with His message. Cathedral theology uh, has its origins a long time ago, and it's why we built cathedrals uh, all over the world, because we wanted to point man's eyes upwards. There's something better, something, something fresher, something more eternal. Uh, your house was made of mud and thatch, and the cathedral stood, towered hundreds of feet. Stone lasted for, well, it took hundreds of years to build, but lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. Beautiful edifice. It is a theology that even though we may not be subject to its uh, practical outcome, that is, we're tr- maybe, you're, maybe you're not personally trying to build a cathedral, it still may infect our minds because it's very man-based. Let's look at it. The word bana, or it's, I love the way that Strong's other Hebrew dictionaries make you do it. It has a bana, <laughs> bana. <laughs> uh, it's spelled bet, nun, hey. And it's usually rendered, in English, it's rendered to build or to make. And uh, as you can see, it's a bet, a nun, and a hey. The bet, uh, actually, whether it's ancient script or block script, like as in a Torah scroll, it represents a house or a tent. The noon represents a seed or uh, a sun. And the hay looks like a tent with a window in it. It means behold, see it, it's manifested. So we see this as uh, um, uh, pictographically a house in which the sun is revealed. A house in which the sun is revealed. Uh, you can see right away the cathedral Cathedral uh, theology would kind of love that, wouldn't they? The house in which the sun is revealed. Let's look at it. I don't know whether this has anything to do with it or not. It's the, when the astronauts were up in, in space and they saw a picture of New Jerusalem, when they came back and threw them from NASA, NASA hid them. <laughs> well, the New Jerusalem is something that, will, that, that comes into our discussion today, so hold on to that thought. Um, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Scriptures, translated about 300 years uh, before the birth of Messiah, about 250 years before the birth of Messiah, it translates the word uh, bana into, uh, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E-O. 
Got any Greek scholars here can pronounce that for me? Yeah, there you go. Thank you very much. Archidamale, which is used extensively throughout the Apostolic Scriptures. Uh, usually in the Apostolic Scriptures, it's used for something like to build up, to edify. Um, yes, we use the word edifice in, in English. If you drive by some church building projects, you may see a sign that says edifice. It's a building company that builds church buildings and shopping centers and whatever else. Um, it is, how, however, hardly ever used, if at all, in either the Apostolic Scriptures or in the Hebrew Scriptures to build something. A building. It's interesting. We have the word building as a noun based on the verb to build, and yet it does not work that way in the Hebrew or in the Greek. Um, so you can see that in English, Western society, we have this, we have this concept pretty well confused. We build monuments and structures and think it's purposeful. The one thing that it is used for is to build an altar. Uh, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, talk about building an altar. And Abraham built an altar. Isaac built an altar. Moses built an altar. It is this word, banah. Let's look at the first usage. It's actually found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. Does anybody know why I always take us to the first usage? You know why? Because it's the first usage. Well, what's the significance of the first usage is, I guess, what I should ask. Because it carries throughout the whole phenomenon. Yes. Yeah. It's the Lord who defines words for us. That's right. It's God who defines words for us. And nothing is by accident. Every space, every line, every mark has significance. Even the lack of marks has significance. <laughs> the white space means something. Don't you love that? So when he, when he uses the word first, we can usually learn important things about his usage of a word or by its first usage. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. And that's not voodoo. That's just common sense. Right? If he wrote it, you know, when you write something, don't you define it first and after that you use the acronym, right? <laughs> Okay, two, uh, 2.22. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to man. So this is the first, it's actually right here, made into, built. Actually, is the word, but not. Made into. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. So God made something. He made Eve. Uh, he built Eve, as it is. Uh, all of his, uh, as I note here, all of his previous acts of creation use different verbs. This is the first time he uses the word build, bana, to describe something. Adam was created. Eve was built. What's this mean? Uh, and it's also, an inter interesting thing is, this is an imperfect mood which indicates it's a process. In other words, it's not something that <coughs> he built her and, it, and she was finished. Oh, look. She's finished. It's a process. Um, he had more work to do on her. What does that mean? Salvation. What's that mean? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad that you're built? <laughs> Let's look at this. God's work. First of all, it's God's work. It's not, it's not evolutionary. Uh, although you'd see a process. Well, does that mean it's evolutionary? No, it's not evolutionary. It's God's work. In other words, it's his creative process. He uses man as a building material. This is really wonderful when you think about it. The building material for Eve was Adam. 
Now, I could go on to a lot of really interesting, maybe not true, but interesting Kabbalistic interpretations of Adam and Eve and how they were one before God took uh, the rib out of Adam. Uh, there's actually Hebrew, uh, within the Hebrew, there's actually technical Hebrew uh, points that could be brought out that say that God made Adam and Eve uh, together uh, as one and that Eve was embedded, as it were, in Adam. That's that's can be proven by scripture. It's interesting. But the most important thing is that Eve is the first thing is the first thing created being built out of man and that every person that came from that process comes from the same act of God. So it is out of Adam that everyone then is built. Uh, but I guess supposedly the most important thing, actually, and I have here, what something built is something visible, representing something that came from inside. I think that's that's very interesting. Uh, it didn't he didn't he didn't take his little finger or his ear or his nose, something that was visible, but something that was invisible, and from that built Eve. Uh, but the first building, if we end use the English English noun, then is Eve. She's the first building. That's pretty. That's I think that's wonderful. That, that Eve would be the first building uh, certainly gives us in a, in a perverted uh, world it gives us a view of maybe what's more correct your house is not very important compared to the people that God has given to you to live in your house <laughs> right so the first building the most important building in this case in, the first, in this creation is Eve at this point go to the second usage and we can see a counterfeit to this Genesis 4.17 And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. This is a different Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the son of his the name of his son, Enoch. This is the first usage of the word uh, in, a, in a negative sense. He built a city. That's it. But you want to know the first city built? Built by Cain. Named Enoch. And that's that's the uh, first the uh, first usage of the word build for something other than a person, building, as it were. Um, this is not good. It's uh, it's in fact a uh, this is after Cain's banishment. He has a son, and and uh, go to Genesis chapter eleven four. Similar usage here, and probably uh, the source of many of our woes, including our current economic woes. And they said. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And and here we see wicked men building, that's the word bana, building uh, the Tower of Babel. Its purpose, as it says, to reach into the heavens. And, and that's, you know, as a little boy reading this, I was like, wow, they built it really tall, skyscraper, that was the point. Um, others has said, well, it's a, it was a ziggurat. It was intend, intended to reach the heaven in the sense of, of understanding the stars and reaching, reaching that. But he actually says here that its intention was to make a name for ourselves. What it was was it was a usurping of God's position in, in creation. It's saying we, we are superior to God. We are like God. Built to make a name for ourselves. Well, why do people, why do people choose the house that they choose? Generally, 
Sure. We work with a lot of realtors here. We work with uh, we work with people. They like the way that inside is, but do they usually care anything about the outside? Oh no, I don't care what it looks like outside. It's, just, it's, it's functional for me. Inside's what I want. Usually, no, no. The lawn's a mess, and that that certainly knocks it down. You know, value for me. And wow, man, it's like doesn't look that nice. It's a bad neighborhood. You know, or, or maybe not a bad neighborhood, but my neighbors don't mow their lawn, so I, I wouldn't buy that house. Interesting, isn't it? The outside does matter, doesn't it? Yeah. And if you examine that, it's usually because, well, what would my friends think when they come to visit me? Make a name for yourself. Um, certainly, we see that many times within, within the society around us with, with regard to buildings. Make a name for ourselves. It's the Bank of America Stadium. It's the uh, Empire State Building. The Chrysler Building. Uh, want to put a name on it. It's a name for ourselves. It's good advertising. Makes perfect sense, right? Uh, but it's all about making a name for yourself. Unfortunately, many of our uh, friends that worship on Sunday have that same perspective with regard to their buildings. They make a name for themselves. Look at us. We're on the corner of uh, East and Main, and uh, um, you can see us from anywhere downtown. Make a name for ourselves. Interesting. Obviously, they're all made out of uh, man-made materials. All the bricks are man-made materials. Very good. God has made. Very good. And that's and and if you remember when it when it talks about building an altar, specifically in the Torah, when it instructs us how to build an altar, it says not from stone, cut by man. Right. Not from worked stone. That's right. And that's a very good point. You know, all of these things we're talking about are man-made materials to build instead of God-made materials. There's nothing wrong with building a house, I misunderstand. Not a brick. But the point is, what's its, what is its purpose? Why are we doing it is the, questions, is the question we should ask. Uh, certainly, I'm not telling you not, not to worry about your property values. <laughs> uh, so it's a matter... <laughs> not, not to be scattered. It's another thing. What did, what did God instruct them? He actually instructed them to spread out, to be fruitful, and, and uh, to fill the earth. And what did they do? They said, no, we're staying here. The first metropolis. That's it. What we read from these, these, these counterfeits is that, uh, to God's creative acts is that man desires to make a name for himself, man desires to bring glory to himself, or those like them, and ultimately is in opposition to God. You can see why cathedral theology, just from that perspective, has, has significant problems. You have probably heard, through slick advertising, whether you were involved or not, you have probably heard of the idea uh, about, with regard to cathedral theology, in the modern age, the church growth movement is founded upon this. You know, we need to provide something that is not just functional, but uh, actually brings glory to God, is what is said. Really, how can bricks and mortar bring glory to God? Is it possible? I would say it's probably much more likely that the way and the purpose of putting those bricks and mortar together with regard to the glory of God is far more important than what the ultimate building looks like or is how it's used. You can see I'm very pragmatic when it comes to buildings. Uh, the counterfeit. Modern man has seen the 
instructions with building the tabernacle and have mistakenly attempted to build a house for God. I remember, I remember as a little boy someone stopping me and saying, don't run in here, this is God's house. The little boy is thinking, God has a lot of houses. However, God never commanded the tavern, the temple to be built. He never did. He never says, I want you to build me a temple. Remember, it was David that says, I want to build you a house. I live in a house of cedar, and you're living in a tent. I'm going to build you a house. And God's response was, I don't need a house. Excuse me for paraphrasing. I don't need a house, but I'm going to build you a house. And he uses the house there out of not man-made materials, but man was the material. He built a family and a dynasty, the dynasty of Messiah, out of David's seed. The tabernacle, however, was commanded to be built. That's the Mishkan. The word Mishkan, uh, there's a couple different words for the word tabernacle in the Torah. One of them is Mishkan. The most, the most often used word is Mishkan. Um, uh, in other ones, we would call a sanctuary, uh, uh, which comes from the word, the whole, the word holy, uh, kadosh. Uh, but here, Mishkan, used the, use, the usual word is because, and you can see in that word, Shkan, the word Shekinah, or as our southern preachers like to say, the Shekinah. <laughs> the Shekinah is the, is the, actually is a word you will not find anywhere in Scripture. So everybody that's preaching that are preaching good Jewish, good Jewish tradition when they preach about the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah, the Shekinah is the visible, the visible representation of an invisible God. It is seen in the cloud of glory over the Israelites as they are traveling through the wilderness or the pillar of fire. Or it says his presence filled the tabernacle at the end of Exodus. Uh, what, what he says is, I want you to build me a tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25. I want you to build me a tabernacle, a sanctuary, so that I can dwell among you, so I can dwell among my people. That's its purpose. His purpose for the, for the tabernacle, and then we see in 2 Samuel, uh, the temple itself, even though he didn't command it to be built, it was built, and he and he, and he ordained it from that. Uh, the purpose was so that he could dwell among his people. It wasn't so that he could have a house. It wasn't so that they would have a place to meet. It was so they would have a place to be with him, so that he would be among his people. Um, in fact, uh, uh, here in, ver- in, in Exodus chapter 25, we talked about that they were to build it. It, it is the word asa. They're not told. They're not told to build it in the sense of uh, this word, bana. They were just simply to do it. Do the tabernacle. Gives them detailed instructions. Do the tabernacle according to a pattern. And I'm giving that word here. T- pattern is tavnik, a pattern. In Exodus uh, chapter 25, the pattern is something that Moses saw on Mount Sinai when he ascended for 40 days. He said, the t- according to the tavern that I, sh- the t- pattern that I showed you on the mountain. Uh, we see this in the book of Hebrews. talks about this pattern as well. Well, that word pattern, tavnit, has the same root as banat. Filled. Uh, what we saw in the tabernacle is God instructed Moses and the children of Israel to build the tabernacle, to do the tabernacle, according to a pattern that they had seen. It was already built in heaven. It already existed. Moses replicated it according to God's instructions. Out of earthly materials but it was something that already existed it existed in the heavenly realm um, 
talk a little bit about the apostolic scriptures. There's no record anywhere in the apostolic scriptures of a worship building other than the temple for the followers of Yeshua. Now, there are synagogues. People visit synagogues. Uh, Paul talks about him visiting synagogues in various places throughout Asia Minor. Uh, but uh, And Yeshua visits a synagogue in Nazareth. Uh, he, uh, we know historically the synagogue in uh, 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 Capernaum is, is right there next to where Yeshua lived. So he, he certainly went to synagogues. But as far as worship buildings, the only worship building the disciples of Yeshua ever have record in the scriptures is in fact the temple. It's the only place. They worship, in, uh, they worship and they meet in homes, but they didn't ever build a building. They simply went to the biggest one, the best one there was, right there, the temple. Uh, the first recorded historic building ever, and it's not in the scriptures, but the first recorded building set aside for the followers of Yeshua exclusively was actually built in uh, Laodicea. And if you go to Laodicea, you can see all sorts of stuff like that. It's in Turkey today. That's right. In a synagogue. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm just talking about exclusive for the followers of Yeshua. In other words, where would the followers of Yeshua go? The synagogues down the street. Why would we not go there? Right? They didn't have something exclusive for. No, no. I'm sorry. You can't come in here. You don't know who Messiah is. You know. That would have been beyond their comprehension. Uh, same thing with the temple. Um, Apart from the, I have a note here. Apart from the Mishkan and the temple, man-made structures are merely a matter of the practical. His called-out ones, his ecclesia, his assembly, his body can't be confused with organizations or man-made things. I hear people talk about the church versus parachurch organizations, and I always kind of chuckle because, in my mind, they both seem fairly man-made. <laughs> I, I can't distinguish between them. Uh, the body of Messiah is not man-made. We haven't been added by a stamp of approval or a signature or an oath. We've been added by the work of Messiah alone. Let's focus on the better stuff here. Let's follow God's example. Go to Genesis. Uh, you don't have to go back here. Genesis 2.22. God built Eve. Only God can truly build. We simply have to follow God's act. Imitate Him like children. How did God do it? Let's build like God did. How did God build? Took a rib out of Eve, or rib out of Adam, and created Eve. You know, I mean, start thinking about it. Wow, man, it's like God's given me a remarkable opportunity to build. Now, those of you who are married, you have a remarkable opportunity to build in your children. You're building up your children. You're building up one another. If you're not married, you have an opportunity to build up the people around you, your family members that are close to you, your those who are at your in your congregation, those who you work with. You're building. You're building. You're taking something that's on the inside and making it evident. Go to Matthew chapter 7. And we'll go to verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears... Let me stop there. You know the little song. Did you learn the little song as a, as a child? 
built his house upon the rock. That's right. Uh, the rain came down, the floods came up. Those are fun little children's songs, right? Uh, the wise man's house doesn't fall down. The foolish man's house falls down, right? What's the moral of the story? There's a last verse that no one knows. <laughs> that says the moral of the story. Uh, we didn't. We, have, we just want to be a wise man. Well, what is a wise man? You build his house on a rock. <laughs> well, what's that all mean? It's a parable. It has one point. One point. Only one point. Here's the point. Anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on his house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Isn't that something? Yeshua's whole point about building here is build on this. Hear my words? Do them. It's real simple. That's, again, pragmatic, very pragmatic, very practical. You know, if you don't do it, you're foolish. You like building your house on sand. It's very foolish. I think there's a whole lot of people who built wonderful edifices and participate in building wonderful edifices for the glory of God that have merely built their house on sand. There's something very, very powerful here. It doesn't take any investments except yourself to be like the wise man. You hear his word, you do it. I'm not saying it's easy, but he says it's not hard. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if he says it, you can do it. You mean I want to. That's what makes it hard. We don't want to. I admit that. We don't want to. He never commanded anything I couldn't do. He never has given us any command. That's right. That you couldn't do. It is actually a... It is a confused theology that teaches God gave instructions to confuse us and, and prove to us our inability to obey him. I categorically reject that. God loves us. He would never give us instructions that were too difficult for us. And it's very obvious that we can't completely and consistently obey him. We don't need him to make it hard. And we can know that even in the easy ones, can't we? He gives you easy, easy commands. Love the Lord your God. How can you not do that? As wonderful as it is. And yet we find ourselves <laughs> disobeying the first and most important command. Maybe not consistently, but occasionally. Right? That should be easy. And we don't do that. So we don't need him to make us hard things to do that we can't do to prove that we're unable. No, he gives us instructions for one purpose. And that is to reveal himself in his own righteousness. Because he wants us, he wants us to know him, and it's all about relationship. And that's 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 why this word "build" is such a great word. It's why we reserved it towards the end of this study, is because it is a very important. Uh, uh, we're we're trying to wrap up this idea of of uh, not just thinking about having nice thoughts about God, but actually carrying through. <coughs> go to Matthew. Uh, um, go go to go to. Uh, John 15.10. I'm going to go there before we skip on to the next thing. John 15.10. Yeah, Please do. Well, uh, You're always welcome to make comments. Now, thanks to the statement where you said God did not command the temple to be built, 
He did. He did. Absolutely. The temple to be rebuilt, uh, the temple of Zerubbabel, he did command it to be built. Yes. And and I, I, I sh- I'm, thanks for bringing that up. It's never to diminish the holy temple because it is it is the pinnacle of his uh, revelation in, in 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 that age and I believe in the age to come. It is it is where we. It, there's no place on earth like it, and there will be no place like it until he rebuilds it. And when he does, there will be no doubt in those who follow Yeshua that it is the place where his eternal presence is. I'm not saying you'll get to go there, but... <laughs> we're, of the wrong, we're of the wrong genetic stock to be able to go there now. So, God willing, someday. Um, John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep, this is Yeshua speaking, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Is, is it hard? Look at verse, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That sounds awfully difficult. A whole lot of other stuff are a whole lot easier than that one, honestly. That's probably the most difficult thing I've ever heard. So, if we can do that, all the, easy, the others are easy. <laughs> I mean, look, we get the privilege of coming here this morning on Shabbat, resting on Shabbat. How bad a deal is that? You know, I'm sorry, one day a week, I don't want you to work. People are complaining <laughs> about that. What? You don't want me to work? <laughs> oh, we'll take any other day of the week off. Lord, I mean, give me Sunday. I can do that and not work there. But don't tell me I can't work on Saturday. I've got to mow my lawn. You can mow your lawn on Sunday. Uh, go to First uh, John 5, 2. John really has a great grasp of this. He's the disciple that Yeshua loved. Has a great get grasp on the connection between love and commandment, love and obedience. When you think about it, this is the love that a husband and a wife have for one another. The word obedience may sound a little bit harsh, but what do we do for one another? We defer to one another. We know what each other's likes and dislikes are, and we respond to them, right? We don't do the things that displease each other. We do the things that please each other. The things that annoy each other, we, we, even though there may be things we prefer, we don't do if we are acting in love. True? And it's not something that's hard because it's a mutual thing. Well, that's exactly the way that God's doing with us. He loves us. He wants the things that are... He wants to please us, yes. And we, in response to Him, do we not want to please Him? Yes, of course. So obedience and love... Obedience sounds like a harsh word, but we should never treat it as harsh. Obedience and love are connected. John knows this very well. And in John chapter 15 and in 1 John, he connects love and obedience consistently, always going back to it. Look what he says here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. He says, By this we know that we love, we, that we love the children of God. How do I know if I love? Yeshua said, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I've loved you. How do I know if I do that? Well, I'm pretty, I, feel, I feel pretty loving. Is it up to me to decide if I love? This is what he says. By this you'll know that you love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. 
Well, how do I know if I love God? You should have said that in John chapter 15 as well. If you love me, you'll obey me. Mm-hmm. And then verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. He loves us. He loves us. Shabbat is not a burden. And if you don't rest on Shabbat, if you've never learned to rest on Shabbat, you need to learn, because you'll, you'll find afterwards it is far greater delight than you could have imagined. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, how did I miss this before? How did I ever think this was a burden? My goodness. Uh, <laughs> go to uh, Revelation. Rev, excuse me? Somebody say something? Is it Shabbat that day for us, and that day specifically for us, just like the rest of the week, they each have their own day? Sure, it's a purpose. So, yeah. That's why Shabbat's the five. It is. Companions. They are. Can't. It says six days will you work, and the seventh day you rest. It's two commands there. We're going to get to that because we're going to do Shabbat in, uh, in a couple weeks. Go to uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints, the holy ones. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. And then go to... Uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Talk about the New Jerusalem. Here's the New Jerusalem. Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gate into the city. This is the New Jerusalem. Do His commandments. That's not works-based salvation. Those who are redeemed want to love Him. Want to love Him, they want to obey Him. And, sorry, I I can't smooth this out for anybody theologically is what it says. Blessed are those who do His commandments they have a right to the tree of life. Why, why, did I have, why did I have to give up the right to the tree of life? Because I disobeyed Him. In Adam, I disobeyed Him. Cut me off from the access to the tree. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Go back, go back, go back. Matthew chapter 16, verse... Who watches over it? Caribbean. Angels. At least two. Where it says an angel, he put an angel in English. In Hebrew it says he put cherubim, which is plural. At least two. With flaming sword. Matthew chapter 16, verse verse, uh, 13. 16, verse 13. When Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John. Uh, the immerser, John the Baptist, son of Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, Yeshua answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not a real this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my congregation, my body, and the gates of, of Hades shall not prevail against it. He's going to build something. And it's not out of bricks and mortar, as Peter says in First Peter. We are the stones. We are the stones. We're the building that he's building. And a lot of people talk about that, and then they get hung up on the building. Yeah, what's what's up with that? Actually, I think that was actually a good thing. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but that's a good point. That follows in the next chapter. Uh, Yeshua builds up his assembly, his congregation on the testimony of faith, Peter's testimony. You are 
the Messiah. Um, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. There's the noun version of it. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and other builds upon it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can be laid other than that which is laid, which is Messiah Yeshua. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of which sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's built is, uh, work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as one through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy which temple you are. Um, now, a lot of people like to use this as a way to diminish the actual temple of God in Jerusalem, uh, which, when Paul wrote this, still stood. He was no no way diminishing. We see that Paul, in Acts chapter 22, goes back there. Um, what he's doing is he's showing this correlation, this wonderful correlation between that temple and us, that we are the temple of God. Um, everything that he makes Everything that he expects, where he dwells in this temple among us, is meant to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart for him. Um, what do we learn from building? But nah. We're supposed to just do it. It's not... It uh, doesn't require a whole lot of preparation. You don't have to have a fundraiser. And the time where you set aside supplies or building materials. You don't have to have an architect. It's already been, that's already been taken care of. It's just like the temple. He told the tabernacle. He told them to gather the materials, but he says, just do it. Just do it. Um, so for, for us, this building is a recognition that God uses man. We are his building material. And if we're going to imitate him, we should use each other, ourselves and each other as well, as building material, something that's, that's going to be eternal. We're going to take from the invisible and make it visible. We're going to take what is hidden and make it uh, obvious to others. To do that, you don't have to build on a corner, except for practical purposes. And remembering that the first building was a person, Eve. And my question is, what are you building? Final questions, comments before we close? A reminder, next week, we will, we will still have class online. So, next week, we're going to have work or do in your home, homework, but the lesson will only be available online. So, we won't be meeting in here. Instead, meeting in here, we'll have, we'll have a... Uh, um, actually, I don't know where it'll be, but we're going to have at 9.30 hour, we're going to have a... Uh, Michael, Michael Brown will be here. Okay? So, I'll talk to you afterwards. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you give us. Thank you that you have built uh, all that is necessary for us to glorify you if we will simply act out what you have already given to us. I thank you for each one. 
who by faith trusts in your finished work. And I pray that, Father, we might act upon that finished work and declare your righteousness to the ends of the earth. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.